Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I'm your host. And today I'm really excited to have the guitarist and primary songwriter, aka Head Dreamer, as he calls it, from one of my very favorite punk bands, A Wilhelm Scream. My guest is Trevor Riley. We're going to talk about their body of work, working with Nitro Records, working with Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore, Andrew Berlin at The Blasting Room, and what they've got coming up for their next record. This is Trevor Riley. Hi, you've reached Trevor. I can't get to the phone right now. We'll leave a message, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. That's hilarious. I went straight to voicemail. I'm putting this on the show. Uh, this is Sam at the Take 92 Podcast. I just texted you a few seconds ago, so I'm going to try and call you again here. Hello? Hey, man. How's it going? Hey. How you doing, Sam? Good. Going that- good? I went straight to voicemail. That was hilarious. <laughs> nice. <laughs> God, we've been trying to put this together for so long. I'm I'm stoked that uh, we finally got to sit down and chat. Oh yeah, me too, man. Yeah, I, I listened to some of uh, your other um, episodes. Really, really cool podcast. Oh, badass, man! Into like listening to podcasts and stuff like that. So it's really cool stuff. Thanks, man. Yeah, I just. I've always loved, yeah. you know, behind the scenes stuff, whether it's like documentaries or or books or even just, you know, you grow up reading the liner notes, the CDs you buy and, and, and or like if my band would put out a new album and get on like a local radio station or something, I'm always like, this is fun. Let's fucking, I didn't expect to be doing it, you know, four years and 60 some episodes into it. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, it's taken me this far getting to talk to guys like you. Dude, that's awesome, man. Congratulations, man. That's that's quite an accomplishment. How many episodes did you say? Uh, this is number 64. Wow. Holy shit, man. Yeah, I think my goal when I started, I think, was six. I wanted to do a few and just see how it felt, you know, but it's it's been more, yeah. and, more and more fun that, that I started, now that I started uh, calling people, because I used to only do it in the studio, and, and it's, or, or I'd bring my stuff with me on the road, and, and uh, it's really opened the doors right. just being able to call folks, you know, all over the country and, and have these conversations that would have not occurred otherwise. Oh, yeah, man. It's a great world we live in, man. Yeah. It's awesome. Marvel's owned by Disney now. Star <laughs> Wars owned by Disney. Oh, man. I was just... You just you just uh, brought me back to 15 minutes ago. I was listening to a podcast on the way home called Real Blend. They were arguing over this question... If one had to go, which would you pick to have never existed? Star Wars or the MCU? Oh, wow. Right? (laughs) Wow. What what would you choose? It's so hard to say because, like, my childhood is very much Star Wars, you know? Um, Yeah. But... Now, when you say say the MCU, like... like, All the Marvel movies. Do you mean, like, like... So just the Marvel movies. Yeah, I mean, you you wouldn't count like uh, the X Men movies the or like can stay. or the Spider Man movies. Yeah, yeah, just just the MCU, like the twenty three or whatever movies that they've had. You know, because oh, like okay, oh then you pick you pick Star Wars. Yeah, you, you gotta take Star Wars then. I mean, I would think Star so. Wars survives. I I would think so too. If not, if not for Star Wars, we don't have the Matrix. We don't have like. We, have, we, we don't have tons of, tons of stuff, but we don't have Star Wars. Well, that's true. I wasn't thinking in terms of influence. Um, I was just thinking right. in terms of, like, watchability. Because, yeah. like, you get a lot more watchable movies mm-hmm. in Marvel. Because, I mean, 
I know yeah. pe- people can argue about the prequels, but they're, they're just not as good. Even if you do like them, they're not as good. You've got a handful of, of really good movies, but they have like twice as many <laughs> on the other team. Yeah. So it's like, ugh. But yeah, I think you're probably right with the Star Wars. Yeah, I, I really like these new ones that, are, that have been coming out. Like the J.J. Abrams one. Yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah, like, me too. It was all like practical effects for the most part. Was it a bunch of dancing cartoons in the background for yeah. no reason? Yeah, definitely. You know, like, all that crazy shit from those that they added to the other movies. None of that crap is there. Yeah, they just got yeah. the vibe right. It's like... Uh, yeah. I'm I'm really into movies. It's a big hobby of mine, it's, and I, I have a lot of friends that like bashed on the Force Awakens when it, when it came out, and and I, I didn't really get it. Really, I thought the only misstep was maybe taking off Kylo Ren's mask too soon, because like when he first shows up, he's so menacing, yeah. and he like stops the blaster beam in the air, and he's super sinister. And yeah. I, I feel like if he was more mysterious behind the mask, then nobody would shit on him, and he would be like. Trump, Darth Vader. He would. I, and I don't mean like. Yeah. I, I don't mean the president. I mean the just the word. But like, I think he would have. <laughs> yeah, he would have. He would have outshined Vader. I think he was so. He was so menacing. Of course. You know. Yeah. They, they they took his mask off and then it's like oh it's just like an emo guy. <laughs> underneath, you know. And yeah. Like ah, I mean, I like the fact that that's a big part of his character. That he's basically just a misunderstood kid. You know. Like, yeah. That kind of thing, a misunderstood kid who had a lot of power, and uh, it corrupted him, you know, for whatever happened in his in his childhood, whatever longing he has, or whatever. So I agree with you. They should, they they could have saved that for like probably the, the second one. They did. Yeah. You know? If they would have kept him, kept it a little more mysterious, and then and then like do the big reveal. Oh no, he's just like there's no horrible scarring or you know there's no we waited the, till the third movie for for vader you know yeah they just gave it up too soon maybe, maybe they didn't know if they were gonna get another shot you know i hope that with the new one that we get to see some badass mean fucking kylo ren <laughs> that's that's like probably my, oh, my yeah. biggest hope for this one is that you know they've kind of left some ambiguity after uh, the Last Jedi, and I and I really hope that he goes hard in the the dark side direction on this one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and get it is uh, his gang that they keep talking about too. Is like his crew. Yeah, well, like yeah, and, of Ren. and 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 supposedly uh, Sidious is back, so we'll we'll see oh, how that plays. Perfect. Yeah. Well, shit. We That's should probably we up. should probably talk sure. about music. <laughs> um, I'll talk about whatever you want, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I well, I, I, I love all this shit. I was texting some friends before the interview, like, "Hey, is there anything you want me to bring up, whatever?" And and so I'd be, uh, I'd have some irritated people if I didn't talk about the, the band at all. Cool, but, cool. When I was I was walking out here to the uh, to the studio, and my wife's like, "Tell him how much I love his band." I'm like, "Oh, okay, I will." <laughs> Oh, that's sweet. Oh, that's that's cool. <laughs> yeah, man. No, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. So usually we go a little bit. I mean, you've heard the show, and then we do a little bit of chronological uh, uh, kind of crate digging through the catalog. Yep. So uh, my, I'll give you my my intro to the band uh, as quick as I can. I was sort of familiar with Smack and Isaiah. I know that my my drummer in, in a high school band he had at least one of the records. So I I, I kind of knew the name, but I I couldn't 
tell you like a song or something. And then a few, uh-huh. year, a few years later, I went to see Portland and Eugene shows of Strung Out and Only Crime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, 2004. That was a fun tour. I got to the show, and some friends of mine, they had gone to, to Seattle as well. And, and they said, oh, you're going to love the first band. They sound like... Because uh, I had been in a punk band for years, and then like at that time we had gone like experimental and kind of hardcore, and they're like they're like, dude, the first band you would love because it's like if your band had kept the experimental but not done the hardcore, like stayed punk. And I was like, no shit. And I listened to it, and there was like little bits. I'm like, oh shit, this is exactly the kind of shit I wanted to make, you know. And uh, so it was it was it was exciting to hear that on stage. And I remember I just because I was like. 19 years old and up my own ass or something. I, I, I remember seeing your set and really liked it, but I felt like you guys were just kind of like standing there. And then I don't, remember, I don't remember what your closing song was on the Mute Print Tour, but you guys went ape shit on the last song. And then I was like, holy fuck. Okay, I'm in. And then I, I remember talking to you guys at the, at the merch table and I was like, dude, I'm coming to Eugene tomorrow. Like, if you guys play the the set like you played that last song, and again, I'm telling you, I'm a dick, but that's what I said. I was like, I am an instant fan of your, like I'll be a fan of your band forever. I go, I go home and I Google it, and I look up the band, and I see you're on Nitro Records. I'm like, oh shit, I fucking you know love AFI and the Vandals and all these great bands. And I look at the album on there, and it says produced by Bill Stevenson at the Blasting Room. I'm like, holy shit! I'm like, I'm definitely buying this record tomorrow. And so that was, that was my, my intro to the band. And of course, I, I bought the, the album and I love the next show. And, uh, and the rest is history, man. 15 years, I've been a, a, just a diehard fan, constant rotation. I, I, uh, I don't know. I couldn't get enough after that. Oh, wow. Th- thanks, Emma. That's, that's, all, that's high praise, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate yeah. That, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that what you guys have is a really interesting... Um, it's kind of rooted in melodic skate punk, but usually when you get as technical as you guys are, um, there's more of like an obvious metal thing going on, or there's there's like um, there can be like a shift of like if you listen to bands that that come from like pop punk, like like Big Wig or even like Sum Forty One or something like that, they will just like switch into Metal Gear for a second, and then they'll switch out of Metal Gear and back into punk. And and you guys seem right. to just have this balance of like shredding but it never feels like even propaganda like has that sort of thrash metal thing and you guys don't have that and i don't i can't put my finger on it you know but i feel like it's unique to your guys sound where maybe you have a better uh, in- insight to that as to what you guys are going for i'm not sure i i know that uh feel like the metal we're really into like the uh into like the melodic like melodic guitar work and stuff like that yeah of a lot of you know, it's really great stuff. And then, of course, in the punk scene, you know, there was always, like, listening to, like, the Strung Out and No Facts and stuff like that, like, I thought it was so cool because, like, it just seemed, like, so, like, unattainable. Yeah. Like, how the fuck are these guys doing this? Yeah. Like, this is, like, so insane. And just real being in awe of that, you know? I mean, like, the fucking, uh, the Strung Out album, I think... An early one. I don't know if it was their first album, but uh, Another Day in Paradise. Mm-hmm. And I remember being on, on like a school trip and went to Newberry Comics or went to a trip to Boston or whatever. Picked up the cassette of that and listening to it on my Walkman on the bus, like bus ride home. I'm like, what is this? This is insane. This is like insanity. Like, 
I couldn't quite make out what the drummer was doing. You know, yeah. like like Jordan was doing this crazy shit, like boom, ba boom, boom, ba boom, 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 and it was like a crazy intro. And then like I was pretty much hooked on that, like right off the bat, like that really like blew me away. And you know, that was just a good example of like I don't even know what these guys are doing. I just think it's really cool, and you know, I really dig it. You know what I mean? And of course, like I love like tons of other bands, like Face to Face. I mean, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm into all the same stuff that, you know, you're into, you know. Um, but I think, like, with our with our music, like, we wrote so much. You know, we're, particularly when we were younger, like, once we were done with a with an album, you know, when I say album, like, you know, Smack and Isaiah, we did a lot of, like, like set tape releases and stuff like that. And one, it was the point where once we were done, like, recording, like, we already had like 10 more songs ready to go. Like we, yeah. we were really like prolific back then. And I think a lot of it came from just loving writing songs, but also, um, you know, trying to do something new, every song that every new song we make, you know? So I think we kind of got, it was easy to get like dissatisfied, you know, with, uh, with a song, you know what I mean? Like, is this keeping our interest? Yeah, that you was know, that was a big thing for me on, too. It went, it went harder and harder. You know, it got harder and harder to keep our own interest. As a musician, uh, at least, because I'm also very prolific. I write a lot, and I release. Uh, some people tell me I release too much, but I feel like you're always trying to one up yourself, and so it's like you'll be putting out this one record, but the songs I'm really stoked about, like wait till you hear those ones. You know, like that that constant um, competition with yourself you know, to, to, to get to that yeah. next, that next thing, whatever that thing is, you know, you know, you talking about listening yeah. to, to strung out and going like, how did they do, you know, you guys have consistently done that to me. Like even now I'm like 20 plus years into this. I still will listen to your shit and just like, I'm not even going to try to figure out what's happening behind this. I'm just going to sing along and enjoy it. <laughs> like you, like, like you always keep, you always keep people guessing, you know, like I'm a, I'm really, yeah. really big into arrangement. Like Metallica is my favorite band and they do like crazy arrangement stuff. And so I appreciate yeah. those qualities, but also you guys will just be almost like the Mars Volta in a way of like, you're everybody's kind of playing something different like there's not a lot of unison parts they're they're complementary but they're yeah. they're all different flavors you know so there's a, there's a lot going on in your guys songs i think part of the way that we make music is everyone adds their own special thing to it yeah. you know and sometimes that's not what one person maybe intended but that person could be pleasantly surprised by yeah. how different someone another bandmate took the idea you know what i'm saying like oh this is what i was hearing it's like wow i was thinking completely opposite of that that's awesome let's explore that you know i've always got my ear out for that kind of thing you know because it's very easy these days especially as you know we've been playing for so long together and we have we have this kind of working relationship the guys like the songs i bring you know what i mean yeah. like they want to hear what i got now next you know what i mean so it's not like it was, was like when we first started, kind of like back in the day when, you know, when we were in high school and it's like everybody's writing songs and then it's like, oh, well, you know, whose song is going to make it kind of thing or, yeah. or some kind of pseudo competition kind of a thing. You know, you know, when you're a kid, it's like you're mean to your friends and your friends are mean to you, you know, <laughs> like, you know, there's no, 
there's no bedside manner, you know, to being in a band back then, you know. Yeah, I, I feel like my like my biggest mistake was that we we had three lead singers. You know, we would kind of switch off, but like the other guys didn't write much, so I was basically the front man. But like, if you listen back to those high school records, it's like I was clearly the songwriter, but like the other guitarist had the voice. I shouldn't have been singing that shit. <laughs> you know, like, and you you can't see that at the time. You know, because you're like, well, I fucking just wrote this yeah. song. It's really cool. I'm gonna sing this one. You know, and like, well, I didn't realize that like. My strength is in you know the songwriting and 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 let that guy uh, front the songs because he can fucking take it to the next level. You know I didn't see that at the time. Right. My experience completely mirrors that. You know because like you know, it has always been in my band. You know yeah. what I mean? Like since we we're you know ninety five. You know what I mean? Like on a lot of that older stuff, like the Smack and Isaiah stuff, it's like we traded off a lot of lead vocals just because I I was writing so much. Like I was writing all the time. It's really what gave me the most joy was writing songs, you know? Yeah. Still is to a certain degree. It still is one of my favorite things to do, like, once it's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, while I'm, while I'm doing it, it's hard as fuck, dude. It's, like, hard. <laughs> you know, it's, like, really hard to do. Well, I hit you Especially up earlier, when, months ago, and you were like, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 let's, let's wait till I'm done with the writing, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And when I said that, it's not in a weird kind of artsy way or whatever but it's really it comes from confidence you know what I'm saying like I feel most confident when I've got like five bangers in the bank and I get to work on my weird ones that I love and then back to the ones that I know that the dudes are gonna fucking dig in the band yeah. you know once I'm doing that kind of juggling act of all of all the song ideas and putting them together and feeling good about myself then yeah let's fucking talk you know what I'm saying like if I'm not at that level yet I feel like I don't have the confidence and it's sort of like, regardless of what I've done in the past, like it doesn't mean shit. It's like, what can you do now? Yeah. You know, like that's how I've always been. I'm very hard on myself. Like in that, in that manner, if what I'm working on, if I don't feel like it's better than the last thing I did, then I'm going to work twice as hard to make sure that the next song I do is better than the last thing I did. Yeah, I I think that that's until until I've done that. You know, (laughs) there's there's a lot to be said about momentum in songwriting. You know, like you you once you get into a groove. I mean, it could be the same thing for mixing or for you know, like if you just come off of a tour and the band is about to record, like you guys are ready because your your chemistry is there, your chops are there, like you know everything is is right. uh, already in motion. You know you just need to capture it. Versus like if you guys are coming in cold, you know then it's different. You guys got to rehearse and you got to get everybody on the same page. And and uh, you know I, right. I, de- I definitely feel that way with with songwriting. Yeah, it's sort of the same thing with songwriting. It's, it's sort of like the other side of the coin. You know, if you're on tour you're on tour for two months with the band or even a tour on one month or three weeks or something like that like it's hard to get off tour and then come back home and then get jump right on that bike writing of writing songs you know it's uh yeah. i wish it i wish it was like that but it's just kind of not like that for me anymore it's like i gotta really i gotta really wake up in the morning and be like man i'm gonna fucking i'm gonna kill this song today you know what i mean and like really the only way that like that's the only way that I've had success for myself. You know what I mean? I'm not saying like success as in like, Oh, this is how I make these hit songs. It's like, no, this is how I make like songs that I like. Yeah. You know, whether, whether a lot of people like them or don't like my process is the same. It's like I eat, sleep and drink the song I'm working on that day. 
Yeah. You know, my wife will be like, Trev, did, did you eat today? It's like, fuck, no, I forgot. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, like, I'll forget to eat food and shit. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's really the only way that I can work. I mean, and it, it was, it was kind of like that when I was younger too, like, you know, with new print and Ruiner, especially when we did our second record, our founding bassist, John Tebbs was uh, leading the band. Yeah. And he gave us like a year notice, you know, and, you know, he's just like, listen, I need to go on a new path and stuff like that. You know, he wanted to have a big family and get his shit together financially, you know, to set up his life. So that's my best friend, you know, and he's leaving the band, you know. So it's it was, with that record especially, I would be up all night writing songs, you know. And then, and that was my, um, that was my wellspring of confidence, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, because I didn't know what the hell was going to happen, you know. How do you replace this guy? You know, like yeah. John was the best singer in the band. <laughs> like Noodle will even tell you that. Like John was like probably the most talented out of all of us. Like amazing performer, and you know he's great at arranging songs, working on songs. He was like amazing partner, and he had a great mind for business, and still does, and you know, and all that stuff. So basically, like I'd be at my parents' house, and I would I'd stay up till like you know four in the morning every day, you know, and I'd go to the Chinese food place and then come back, keep working on songs, you know? Like, I can't do that every year. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like I can I can do it in spurts, you know, as I've gotten, you know, I've got more responsibilities now than I did back then, you know, but, like, as far as putting out new Wilhelm stuff, the same amount goes into it. That's why, you know, we don't come out with a new record every two years because we're writing. There's songs that are going to be on the new album that, like, I've been working on for three years. Yeah. There's some that have been I've been working on for four years. You know, like ever since Party Crasher came out, there's a couple of those in there. My whole thing is that, well, that ain't good enough. I got to write fucking eight more that are better than that other one. Yeah. And then once it gets out, then it's the perfect record to me. Maybe not the average listener or people in the punk scene, but. It's not who I write music for. I write music for myself and for my band. Yeah, at the end of the day, I, I mean, you can't be thinking of other people during your process. You know, it really has to be the. No, that's the kiss of death. You are the audience. You know, when you're making the song, and and yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying about the John story too. Because I mean, I I played with the same bassist from '98 until 2012. I think he moved away, and wow. uh, he just had his second kid, and my band. Uh, we haven't had a permanent bass player ever since. I, we've we've gone to three people this year, you know, and, and and it's always, you know, me and the drummer just, you know, I write the songs, we arrange them together, and then we just find somebody who's available to do a little tour. And and losing somebody like that who is your foundation can can shake you so much. And and for me, I'm an addictive personality, and I'm also a bit of a control freak. And so one way I can get back in control of my life is in the studio. And so uh, whether that's uh, working on stuff for the band or my solo shit or, or three different records at one time or whatever it is, if I am creating, then I feel okay again, even when I'm losing this this person who's really important to me in, in, in not losing, but I mean... Lo- uh, our, our relationship drastically changing, you know, um, and so I I totally feel that we had yeah like the day to day working relationship yeah like we we hadn't put out an a, an LP in in quite some time and then when he left that's when you see the productivity start to go up and you know we had a new record out a couple of years later so uh, 
I totally yeah. understand that as like it's it's your life preserver. It's the kind of thing when you lose a member, it's sort of like you know you don't replace that member. You, yeah, you know what I mean. And it's like okay, oh here's John point two. You try to find the right fit with a new member, and she or he will come with their own uniqueness and their own skill sets or strengths. And if you're a guy like me, you you notice that right away and you exploit the fuck out of it. Yeah. You know, like like when I see like like oh shit, oh all right, like this is what Brian this is Brian's like wheelhouse. Well, booyah! Now like this is great. This is like for me, it's fun because it's like all right, well, this is another like color on the palette. Yes, exactly. You know, let's see where this goes. And that's what's special about playing with other people in a band. Because, you know, everybody comes with their own life experiences, with their own own backstory, and, you know, their own way of working, honestly, and their own work ethic that they take with their instrument. It would be so foolish of me, even even though I'm the, you know, you can call me like the chief songwriter in the band or whatever, even though I am, it would be so foolish of me to not look for those amazing traits in my bandmates where they can make our shit better. Yeah. I learned that lesson, like, kind of the hard way with, like, some friendships, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that really helped in my... Like, I'm still in a band, you know what I'm saying? I just turned 40. Like, I'm still doing this, you know what I'm saying? And, like, that's really because of my bandmates, because of what we all do together. Yeah, there's there's nothing like it. You know, when you find that chemistry and endure that period of time, it's it's really, uh, I, I don't have anything else like it in my life, for sure. I, I wanted to ask you, in terms of playing to people's strengths and stuff, do, do you more or less have a finished arranged song when you bring it to the band or do you more have like a loose idea and you guys flesh it out together my approach is this like my bandmates are going to hear my best for every song that they hear there's probably two that didn't quite make the cut for that yeah i approach it as in like I got to sell my songs to these guys. I have to sell my ideas to them. Because like I said before, who gives a fuck? Like, nobody gives a fuck what you did in 2005. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody gives a fuck what you did in 2009, you know? Those songs are already finished. You know what I'm saying? Like, I may be the same person that came up with those songs, but what am I coming up with right now? Is that going to make my bandmates stoked? Does it make me stoked? So, yeah, I will employ whatever I got to do to sell these songs to to my bandmates for them to genuinely be like, "Yo, that's dope." So sometimes that means I gotta I gotta have my drum beats in mind because that's gonna help sell my melody. You know, sometimes I gotta throw some a bunch of harmonies on something. Do you program drums? Yeah, that's a fairly recent development for us getting on the MIDI drum tip the past, like, three or four years. We've been doing that. Yeah. And uh, Nick's really gotten into it, too. And he can, like, come up with beats and write beats and then program them. And then we can essentially have band practice at, like, one in the morning at my house. You That's know what I'm saying? Great. And it's, like, 
we're not loud as shit. We're like we're, we're just on the computer and we're talking about beat. We're ca- talking about rhythms and we're talking about ideas and how they work with my melodies, or my or if I got some lyrics going, how they how they work with that. Whereas back in the day, we'd get in the jam space and I'd jump on the kit and be like, "Yo, here's what I'm thinking." Because like I I played drums for many years before um oh, okay. before playing guitar and I, I I played drums in the band for many years. So all my ideas like they come from a rhythmic kind of place really it's like how do i sell my idea to my friends you know i mean sometimes that is like jumping on the kit nick this is what i'm thinking and then nick will jump on it have his interpretation what i do and then we just do that dance you know we just kind of go back and forth and then we just find cool shit and then nick makes it his own that's great as far as that goes it's still the same kind of still the same process but uh you know we can work on things on the on the midi tip and then we get together, and honestly, dude, Sam, it's the same. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Nuno and Nick come over, and like we listen to songs, and we just like you know smoke a J, crack a million jokes, usually at Nick's expense. At Nick's expense, we you kind of look around and we're like, dude, this is band practice. This is like <laughs> band practice. It's twenty twenty nineteen. Yeah. You know, it's because a lot of it is just like, you know, everyone expressing their tastes. You know, everyone expressing like their emotions and how they're how they view the song that we're listening to right now or the song that we're working on and, and, and we do those ideas right there. That's the same thing we do at band practice. You know, yeah. so now it's kind of like we can do band practice kind of whenever, whenever everybody has time because, you know, it'd be so busy with life, you know? Yeah, I, I'm always interested in how that works because, like, you know, for for us, I, I write all the songs and I am a bad, bad drummer. So, like... If I have to lay something down, it is like, it's it's terrible and unlistenable, but it's like, okay, you've heard the pattern. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. and, and then like when we, when we finally get together, I'm usually like beating on my chest and stomach a lot. Like, okay, yeah, now this thing here, you know, and then, uh, uh, we, we kind of yeah. ha- hash it out in the room. But, uh, I, I love that you guys are able to, uh, to sit down and, and do that even as a group and, and kind of run it through the Wilhelm prism. Yeah, it's really important because if we don't do that, I think the songs suffer if you don't. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, if it was one, like, I could physically do it, but then it'd be like a solo thing. You know what I mean? And yep. I, I don't want that. You know, like, not for this band. You know what I mean? Like, this band is what it is. And I know that the secret to the songs being cool is that, you know, you have every, get everyone involved. And so they all take ownership in what is going on. You know what I mean? And of course, like, I'm opinionated as hell. I try to work on my bedside, man. <laughs> well, it's your baby. But like, if you wrote it, you know, let's it's... say like I do, I'm like the director. Yeah. Of it. Well, you're producing. It's because it's like, yeah. And I get weird with it, man. Like, I like, like when I'm talking about a song or talking about a drum beat or talking about like a, whatever, like, um, and in this case, like talking about themes, you know, like lyrical themes that I'm thinking of that inspired me to come up with these ideas, you know what I mean? And then I can talk to Nuno about them. And then regardless of if I end up writing the lyrics or if he ends up, you know, writing a lot of it, we've had that discussion of the song idea. It's fully fleshed out. It's been completely thought through every angle that I could possibly think of without killing the vibe of the original idea. Don't kill the patient, but make sure that you've explored every avenue that could possibly make the song better. 
You said a key phrase, too, in ownership. When you open criticism to your bandmates and they are shaping their parts and making it their own, you now have a totally different thing than I've been in projects where I'm the lyricist, there's a guy who makes the music, and we just teach the guys to play the fucking music, you know? And, like, that is way harder to get people, like, super committed to the band, to book more shows and, and be everything that you want them to be as band members versus when people are actively contributing in the creative process and they feel like, you know, this is something that, that is theirs too. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So like so that's why I put a lot of pressure on myself when I'm coming up with shit because if we're gonna be working on something, we gotta be starting with good field position. Let's say yeah, right? have a good foundation. Like a, a sports term, it's gotta start off dope. You know what I mean? So yeah. like those are the things that I think about during the day. You know when you get those ideas that just come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? It's like oh man, I'm stoked that I have. We live in a day and age where. Disney owns Star Wars, <laughs> and I have a recording device in my pocket at all times. Yep. You know, like, because it wasn't always like that. Sometimes I had to carry around this big, clunky, this big, clunky mini cassette recorder to get my ideas out and everything like that. And, uh, you know, I was like just that weird guy. But now, ideas just sprang into my head. I recorded it. I totally forget I did it. And then, Later on, I'm listening. Oh, let me listen to my voice memos. Wow, I don't remember coming up with that. Holy shit, that's good. That could make a dope song. Yeah. You know, I, like, I live for that shit. I fucking live for that shit. Like, that's like my shit. That's my jam. Like, that's the idea came out of nowhere. I can't take credit for that shit. It just popped into my fucking head. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's uh, that's what I was doing. I sent you the Dead Fucking Serious record a while back. It came out this summer, and yeah. and when we were close, I think, I think you were bass tone on that. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, that's my yeah. S, that's my SVT two. But yeah, when when we had uh, we were oh, get, nice. we were getting close. I was gonna cap it at twenty songs and then trim it down to the favorite ones, you know. And we we had already thrown out a couple, but as we were getting close to that number twenty, I was like, oh, I need to go dig back through my phone and see if there's anything that I haven't. Um, used yet and man like i'm so glad that i did because like the last two songs that we added were killer and they came from those random ass voice memos of like holy shit i have more or less a fully finished song that we just need to run through the dfs filter and write some lyrics you know and god they they ended yeah. up being like a huge part of the energy and the attitude of, of the record. And that was all just because it's like, well, we're almost done. Oh shit. I have those notes, those voice memos. Yeah. A little, uh, gemstone, you know, little hidden gems, it's a little time yeah, machine. They, yeah. I want to change gears just a little bit. We kind of glossed over a mute print and ruiner a little bit, but I wanted to ask about, uh, two collaborations in all of this. And, and the first being nitro records, what was your experience in working with them? Nitro records is a really cool thing. Like, especially for us, cause you know, we just spent so many years kind of, um, hitting the pavement, you know, and just trying to get our music out there and, you know, rejected by every label imaginable yeah. and stuff. And it's not like nitro even came out and say, Oh, oh we love you guys. It was, it was sort of like, you know what? We like what you guys are doing. Like, let us know what you're up to. Yeah. You know, keep us in the loop sort of, you know, and, and it was a fellow named Sean Z Barth. Mitch was his partner and they were the A&R guys. And I think what had happened was they had signed a band called Lost City Angels 
who were from Boston. Mm-hmm. And the experience working with them, and then all oh, these cool guys, you know, or whatever, and, you know, good band. And, you know, because Boston has an amazing street punk scene, always has, you know, like, like, Dropkick Murphy's probably the most successful of all the, of all the street punk bands. But yeah. they're like, that's a street punk band. You know what I mean? Like, they have been an incredible one. And, you know, The Unseen and Slapshot, those goes on and on, like, hardcore music and stuff like that. But we're obviously not quite as hard as, like, a lot of the Boston bands, you know what I'm saying? And, and we're not a Boston band, honestly. I mean, we're a New Bedford band. But Massachusetts. So, basically, long story short, we um, kept in touch. We ended up doing Warp Tour. I think it was the, the 10th anniversary Warp Tour that we did. So we got to travel around with that. Offspring was also doing that particular Lego Warp Tour, and Sean Zeboth came out, saw us play, and he was interested, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. So basically, nice. Jumpstart Records was the label we were on at the time. They're the ones that put us in the studio with uh, Bill and Jason to do Muprint. So like we did the record, and sent Nitro some of the stuff that we were working on, they're like, we want this. Like Before we were out of the studio, you know, they had already made arrangements to buy the record from uh, Jeremy Jumpstart awesome. and sign us up. So we went in the studio at Smack and Isaiah. We came out a well on screen and uh, basically, yeah. That's awesome great. experience. I mean, the, the label was cool. There were like eight people working there full time and everybody was super nice and uh, super hard working. They're very professional over there. They had like a night, you know, nice offices and stuff like that. Um, Dexter, uh, wasn't super involved with the day-to-day stuff with the label, you know, like I never called him on the phone and shit and shot the shit about songwriting or anything like that, you know, like nothing yeah. of that nature. Um, he was just kind of like the guy that, you know, he made the final call, you know, on things and yeah, he, he liked what we were about and they definitely did things in a professional way. You know, they were definitely like, okay, we're going to, this is what we're going to go for. You know what I mean? And, and back then, Everybody was nervous about sound scans because if you didn't, you know, sell X amount of records the first couple of weeks, then, you know, it doesn't look good for your album campaign or whatever, you know, to sell records and stuff like that. So even on that level, like they're, they're because it was like record sales were dwindling because of, you know, the world changing, you know? Yeah. Even on that yeah. level, they're, they're that worried about, uh, sound scans and opening numbers and shit they're not they're not thinking like okay it's a you know it's an indie band we're gonna build them on the road it's still like first numbers kind of shit well yes and no i mean really like the i think the numbers thing was really it wasn't like oh why why are you guys selling it you know all these records it was really like you know if you sell a certain amount of records that could open doors for you okay to get into the markets, you know, probably a lot of a lot of your listeners are young, like you know, like so they probably don't remember where you know it used to be a big deal that you can get your record in a store. Yeah, you know, like like Best Buy or something like that. That was like if you you know it was like oh if you can get it in there, then it's like wow doors could really open for you. For, for the first record, that was not even we weren't even thinking that it was really when the second record came around ruiner where we started really getting noticed for things like that you know so we would get played on like i don't know mtv2 or whatever they'd play a oh, wow. video once or twice kind of a thing you know like that kind of deal 
I mean, to me, that Ruiner is a more accessible record. You know, the production is a huge st- step up, and it's even more melodic. Like, the harmonies are front and center on the record. And just as a fan, I feel like each record got better than the last, but I could see that that one could have definitely reached more people just given the, the style. Not that it was a major change or anything, but the presentation of it, I felt like, was was great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I remember Bill and Jason really liked that album a lot while, while we were making it, you know, and that was cool. And you definitely tell because, like, the, the record we did, we did after it, Bill didn't like it as much. I think I took a step back, Trev, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, he he told me Mute Print was the best one. I'm like, are you, what? No. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, maybe the nostalgia factor. Of it, I don't really know. It's all weird. I mean, yeah. this shit's all the same to me, honestly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, every album's the same to me. Like, it's, you know, just writing a lot of songs. You know, just writing a lot of stuff. You never know how the well, yeah, how but, it's gonna but be you're, received. You know, you're in it, and so you're seeing the gradual, yeah. the daily progress, whatever. Versus us on the outside. Like, I remember when Ruiner came out. I worked at Guitar Center for quite a while, and. Um, you know, it's a lot of us uh, uh, punk musicians work there. And uh, I remember sitting in my car on my lunch break listening to Ruiner with my coworker, who's a great bass player. We're like rewinding the beginning of the song over and over, like, you're allowed to do this? What the fuck? <laughs> like, uh, just like arrangement wise and, and uh, you know, production wise and everything was just like, man, this is such a step up. And then, and career suicide for me is like the holy grail of of our style of music. I mean, I, I I really felt like that album, it's probably my favorite Blasting Room sound, first of all, and yeah. it's fucking epic, you know? I mean, the horse, like there's just so many uh, great examples of like songs that, I mean, you, you guys have had this, even back to like the, the rip on the first record or something where it's like you feel like the song has climaxed and then it takes it to another level, and then it takes it to another level. But like career suicide is just nothing but that. It's just all. It's just all in yeah. all the time. And uh, from the outside, it's like holy shit, they're stepping up their game again. You know. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that. Um, that was definitely a huge group effort writing that one. We really took it very seriously. Like you know, five days a week, we're putting in eight hour days because like a third record's tough man it's yeah. hard because like you know like when you have your first record even though like even though we've been writing the whole time you know it's not it's not like i was you know saving up songs and then okay let's do new print you know like we, we, we just we're constantly writing songs before that and during you know but um the third record's hard because it's like do we listen to expectations? Do we listen to what we have going on in our musical hearts or whatever? You know, do we follow that? Do we do we um, make some sort of statement or something? You know what I mean? It's very it's very difficult. Third record is real hard. First record you have forever to write. You know, theoretically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The second the, the second one you're riding that momentum. The third one you have a little time to think about it. So you're in the batter's box. You know what I'm saying? And you're kind of like you're si- you know you're sizing it up. Maybe a little thoughts are getting in your head of doubt. You know what I mean? That's the third record. Third record's a bitch. You know what I mean? But but that's why we took it so seriously, um, getting in the jam space. We thought we were writing the best thing we've ever done easily. You were. Um, I still listen to that. You know, st- I still, when I listen to that record, I'm like, fuck, that's cool. You know, that's 
well thought out. Yes. I, I, let's say, you know, like, like a lot of this shit's well thought out. And it is because we got out fucking dry erase boards and we're like writing out the fucking timing, you know, the, you know, the, the timing and the syncopation of things and like, you know, the notes, Brian's writing out notes. I'm like, yo, what, what, what is that? What language is that? You know what I'm saying? It's, not, it's fucking musical notes, Trevor. What's the with you? You know, he's like right now fucking shit because it's Brian's first album with us, you know, so Brian's got a big old chip on his shoulder always, you know, when it, especially when it comes to that shit because he's so amazing at what he does, you know, so... I know he was, like, getting up extra early every day to be like, all right, I'm going to fucking kill it. You know what I mean? And that's what he did. Oh, and yeah. We all worked real hot on it, man. And, like, going in the studio, I remember one day, he was like, ooh, uh, Trev, we took a step back on this one. I'll never forget him saying that. And I was like, yo. Gah. Whoa. Like, like, deflating, you know, while we were recording, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, all right, all right, you know. I think I can get that yeah, just from the perspective. I don't know in what way, but I mean, I, I can get that from the perspective of a guy who writes short, catchy songs. A lot about this record was more technical, more over the top, you know. And you guys aren't even when you have hooky things. I feel like you're not always going for like the perfect rhyme or you know the catchiest thing. Mm -hmm. It's like the the it's constantly moving around, you know, and and keeping you guessing. Yeah. So so you know it. I, I can sort of guess just as a as a, a fan of both of your bodies of work, but God, if you guys didn't absolutely, uh, I mean, like you said, it's so well thought out from every layer, every angle, every player. I mean, it's it's uh, it's an impressive piece of work. It, it's like I said, I, I really find it to be the the pinnacle of like you know, if you look at Suffer ushering in this this era of of melodic punk and i i feel like as a like a 2000s evolution of it that there's there's really no topping something like that damn uh wow that's uh wow that's <laughs> i don't need to 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 make you respond to it. i just mean like for me and my friends like in in, yeah, yeah. in watching your growth and the things that we look for in 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 songs you know from the tempo and the energy and the layering and the musicianship it's just that was just a really important record to me and my friends you know oh that's awesome i i'm i'm i'm, I'm stoked on that i'm i'm, I'm stoked to hear that that's, yeah i mean to, that's, that's i told super cool man um yeah Thanks. I mean, when that whole time period was a really strange one, honestly, because like we had been going on this like path of, I guess like after Ruiner, I think there were some expectations of our band that members of our team definitely had, like our agent and stuff like that. She was expecting something a lot different than what we ended up doing. Yeah. And that ended up kind of ending that relationship with her because she kind of like, she had to make a decision, you know, to move further into the big leagues, you know what I'm saying? And couldn't really keep a band like us that what, I guess in, in her and some people's eyes that the, um, well, I'm not going to speak for her. I mean, I, I mean, the expectations was, was not to make a fast technical punk record. Yeah. That, I think the expectation was to keep going on this ruiner tip this like um, I always, I always call it alternative rock because that's like my that's my shit right there you know what I mean that's my shit like <laughs> uh, more than anything else like I love like alternative rock music and I think that record um, is sort of on that tip you know of that side of me and that kind of thing is 
was kind of expected. You know, something like like you were saying before, a little more accessible to people. Yeah. Um, I think that's what the expectation was. So it was sort of like, whoa, like did our career just end? Like literally. That's well, why it's called career suicide. Yeah, I was you know what I'm saying? Like, I was going to ask about it's that. Career suicide because we wrote this record and like it took a fucking sharp turn away from what we thought was the trajectory. But like you said before, Sam, like when you're in it, you don't know. You're just working hard. You know, you, you're not thinking about these other things. You know, these outside things. You're just thinking about the music you're making with your friends. You know, that's fucking crazy to me that on any level that that album could be considered a, a disappointment. Because I mean, it's a natural evolution through these four records that you guys have as as Wilhelm um, the of oh, the four full lengths anyway. Actually, before I skip to Party Crasher, a side note: my uh, longtime DFS member uh, Ben wants to know: Was there ever a proper release of the B sides from that album? And uh, if not, uh, can he have them? <laughs> because he, he has a terrible rip of them uh, that we've uh, enjoyed, but uh, we weren't sure if that was ever actually released. Yeah, um, Route Forty and One Six, and. The I Hate Club. Yeah. Those were both released. One was on, I don't know which one was which or whatever, but one was on the Japanese-only uh, release of the album. And I think I think it was I Hate Club that was the, on the Australian release. Okay. They were around. I'll have to, like, look around. Like, I've, I, know I've, I know I have copies of both of those somewhere around here, so. All right, I'm all right. i to find so get a good copy out there for, for Ben. Thanks, yeah, ben. yeah, hook it up for Ben. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, yeah. Party Crasher, I want to hit just by saying, uh, holy shit, as, as the first one in this, in this uh, chronology anyway that is uh, self-produced, and after such a long break and another lineup change, having those three records in my, in my collection for so long and really feeling the way that I feel about Career Suicide, I thought... Oh, they got some new shit. And then in the back of my mind I was like, yeah, but like is can you really top that record though? <laughs> I kind of hold them even, but I also think yes, you did. Like it's it's uh I think somehow even oh, thanks, I think it somehow sounds even better like like the guitar tone you're able to get on that record. It's like tighter, a little drier, there's something something realer about it. I don't know. It sounds like you're in the room. When it like when it just cuts to a guitar part by itself for a second, you know, you you really feel like you're standing in front of the amp. You know, like I just felt like there was a, it had that blasting room big, bombastic sound, but it also had a realism. It was like somehow a little more grounded or something. Man, I I I really was impressed that you guys pulled that off without the blasting room. Uh, obviously, they did a, a tremendous uh, mix and master on it. Yeah. Uh, uh, t- totally. Take take me through that process. This is this is post nitro. This is doing your own shit. How did that uh, come to be? Why was that decision made? Well, I think the decision was made because like Mike and I had really started to get into recording. You know, my dad has always had a had a studio, black and blue, in the house like since I was a kid and stuff like that. So like. He's always kind of had it there, and over the years, uh, my dad, my dad kind of concentrated on his career with the postal service. So he wasn't in the studio as much as he was when you know when I was a kid and stuff. You know, we recorded all our all this Mac and Isaiah stuff with him, and 
oh, okay. all our demos for all our records were done there and stuff like that. So it was kind of like a natural thing to like record it there. And my dad was like, listen, Tread, like, you know, you should really get in, get into this. You know, I've always kind of dabbled in it and stuff like that. But, you know, my dad was like, you know, you should invest in this and see in the future where like recording budgets are not going to be like what they were. You know what I mean? Like the whole world is changing, industry is changing and everything like that. So, you know, get ahead of it and everything like that. And I didn't know that it would become another obsession for me, <laughs> but it's been really fun. You know, like, you know, you know how it is. Like, you, know, you just kind of like endlessly tireless working on, you know, perfecting your craft, whatever that may be. You yep. know? So like back then, like, you know, our, um, our live sound guy, James Witten, call him hoops. He, um, he's like a genius, you know, like he audio genius. So like he was really helped. He really helped us out big time, like with the recording and like, you know, to get the tones. And of course, Andrew Berlin did an amazing mix on it. He did a you know, he did a fantastic job, very clean sounding. I thought it was Jason for the longest time. Only recently did I realize that that was Andrew's uh, record. I, uh, God, it sounds good. Yeah. He did, an, he did an incredible job. We weren't really trying to, top anything you know we were just trying to you know get the songs be as good as we had in our minds you know what i'm saying and, and the process of the process of writing it was kind of hard because because we're doing the studio thing at the same time you know what i mean like we're trying to make sure that the acoustics in the basement are a little bit better this time around you know to get the tones and, and stuff like that and also like you know try you know learning the craft of recording you know what i mean like 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 legit you know what i mean and kind of like teaching ourselves and learning what we can from uh, james so we we're basically writing at the same time whereas you know i'm using both sides of my brain you know what i'm saying like there's the analytical and then there's the creative side right yeah and I found that's what I found so difficult about it because I'm constantly being pulled in one direction or the other, thinking about, oh, you know, is this the right microphone, you know, or you know, what's up with this preamp and blah blah blah. Whereas my big strength in the band as a band member is the big picture stuff, you know, the creativity and everything, you know, to keep to you know keep dreaming, you know, like just be the dreamer, you know. The lead dreamer. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what I see myself as in the band. You know, like, I come up with dreams and we, let's fucking do it. You know what I mean? Let's, let's, what dream do you have? You know what I'm saying? Let's fucking make that shit come true. You know what I'm saying? Like, try to keep positivity all the time, you know? And it's hard to switch that off and then go back to the analytical side and then switch off and go back to the crazy dreamer, weirdo guy. Yeah. Which I like to be. You know, I like to be the weirdo guy in the back, saying, you know, talking in a fucking language that only I can understand half the time, you know, <laughs> but just tr try, you know, trying to be enthusiastic for everyone. That's when I'm at my best with my friends, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, yeah, you, you, I'm sure you can understand that. Like, Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I've been recording my own stuff for about 14 years now, and, and I have a lot oh, of yeah. friends who are, who are much better engineers than I am because they have the desire to do that. And really, for me, it's a songwriting tool, you know, and uh, I'll, 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 I'll take it as far as I uh, feel like it needs to go. But honestly, uh, you know, I've found the gear that works for me. I know where my strengths are and I know when to outsource and, you know, and collaborate to make it better. Because really, 
it's just a means of getting the the song out of my head and and in into the world like that that's how i view it anyway is that yeah. it's it's just the same tool as a as a a tube is i mean this this whole studio whether it's a you know a drum head or uh, a preamp it's just uh you know it, it's just the the way in which to filter the the idea into the the, the real band you know or, or on the record i just through doing it over time got to where i felt like i was you know uh, uh con confident with it but it always had to take a back seat to the the songwriting and uh the performance really for yeah. me yeah i put a lot of pressure on myself to have to be killing it in both areas yeah whereas like in the years since party crasher you know the four or five years or whatever since that i've been lucky to be able to work with a lot of other bands you know and also in a lot of it is like mixing, you know, like really getting into mixing. And that's been like a, a massive passion for the past like four years. And a oh. lot of the stuff that I'll get to mix from band will be stuff that is like, you know, um, sourced like, you know, recorded material that was less than ideal uh, recording situations, yeah. you know, um, uh, acoustically. So really like, it's sort of like, it's given me a new understanding of, by working with a lot of other people's material um, on the mixing side, it's given me so much more insight into tracking. Yeah. You know, because I know what I, I, I know what I need now from a tracking sense to get the audio to be as good as it possibly can be. So that that's been a huge thing for me that I didn't kind of see myself as. You know, I've always like I've always tracked bands, I've always tracked vocals, I've always done that like. I've always been involved in all that and had an ear for pitch and everything like that and, you know, in uh, production and everything like that. But, like, I've always had a knack for that since I was younger. But as far as the technical stuff, the problem solving and stuff like that, that's something that I've, you know, really been obsessed about, but, like, you know, in the, in the years since. And also, like, you know, producing bands and stuff like that, you know, has been great because I can, I can wear more of that hat because these songs are the band's baby not my baby. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, it's my job to help facilitate what they're dreaming of, which is great to have, you know? But then when it comes to my own music, I'm at my best when I'm like weird dreamer guy, like straight up, you know, just like that guy in the back room saying, no, we gotta add, we gotta add this, you know, stuff like that. So like, I try to, I try to make it like that as well, you know, and on the new record, I'm definitely going to have that in mind, you know, get my engineer friends more involved. I can't really talk about our, our about our plans right now on a podcast, but like the plans I do have really, I don't know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be like at, at my new spot in, you know, the new house. Like it's been all crazy past couple of years. You know, my wife and I buying a house downtown New Bedford and renovating the whole thing. And it's been the massive undertaking. But people are like, oh, well, yeah, whatever, all this bullshit. What is a new record? there's so many things that have to happen before the record yeah. happens. And like, in the meantime, I'm not putting out like posts about working on it, but I'm working on those songs like a fucking madman. Like, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm stoked on it. It took me about eight songs that I thought were okay to finally get to the other 15 that I think are fucking banging, you know? Yeah. And 
that's why I couldn't talk to you on that podcast because like I had those eight songs that were okay. You know what I mean? Like you're not gonna want me as a podcast guest unless I've got like 15 songs that I feel are just like make me proud. Yeah, proud's the best way to describe it. You know, and that's really what I'm in this for. You know, I'm in this to to make art and to be proud of it. You know, and my friends and for all of us to kind of uh, just come up with cool special shit. Everything else that I've done in the years before our last record, the house renovations, you know, the studying up on studio stuff, gear, acoustics, everything, doing all, doing all this, like, has been the carrot, has always been that new record. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm, I'm finally at a great spot right now where like I'm starting to see all the hard work pay off and like I see a I see a date where we start you Great. know what I mean so it's very um I don't know sorry I went, I went off on a tangent but <laughs> no, that's great. You've been doing a lot of segues for me. It's been awesome. <laughs> um, Killer. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned, you know, working as a mixer. I was curious with party crasher. How do you track drums? Having worked at the blasting room, uh, with the intent of, of, of sending it there. And you know, you know, the, the sound you're after, like, is there anything special that you did on party crasher or, or something you've adopted, from working with Bill and Jason over there? Oh, a lot of, a lot of workflow stuff. Um, those guys definitely had a, a way. And I think just, just being a busy working studio, they are, they had a great workflow in terms of, um, work is always being done. You know, someone's not feeling well today. Like, Oh, he just, just ain't happened. Okay, cool. We'll move on to this then. You know what I mean? Like we'll, we'll do bass right now instead of vocals. You know what I mean? Or like th- things were constantly always, always moving that was a big eye-opener to me because editing was a big part of the workflow you know what i mean to keep things moving nail the takes and then get the tracks prepared for the next step that was one thing for sure that um i took away from that and i think just you know keeping the vibe good you know you gotta keep the vibe good at all times a lot of times i I think keeping the vibe good is probably the most important job yeah. of a producer. I agree. You know what I mean? And I think that with Bill's, you know, Bill's tracking, you know, you know, he's tracking your vocals, but Jason is like the technical guy, you know, in terms of like, he's the head engineer. Yeah. Also a producer, but he fills that role of like that guy. And then Bill is kind of like more big picture guy and also keep the troops engaged guy I saw a lot of parallels with myself and Mike you know because Mike was super into like the technical thing you know like the drum editing and you know searching for the right guitar cable you know that kind of thing you know what I mean like that that kind of thing whereas I'm kind of thinking well is this chorus big enough you know what I mean like is this should it be big enough you know what I mean how how does this part relate to the part that came before it? You know what I mean? Like shit like that. Like shit that just is like sort of like jumping from macro to micro, you know, as far as like create, create creatively, you know, in creative terms and stuff like that. And also, you know, um, 
getting getting great takes out of out of who I'm recording. You know, like I do all the vocal tracking with Nuno. We have a great relationship that way. And uh, even at the blasting room, they would always call. I didn't want to be in there, but they would always call me in. You know, to clarify things or to offer my input on the vocal, on what was going on with the vocal. I guess that's kind of like what. I, those are some things that we learned. I mean, a, a lot of it was just kind of like. At the same time, you know, we're really concentrating on what, on what we're doing because yeah. we're not there to just like, oh, yeah, let's fucking chill out and make a record. No, we're there to, like, kill it, you know? Like, that's the reason why we're there, you know? Because if not, then, you know, why, bo- why, why bother if you're not going to, like, really go into the situation wanting to take no prisoners, you know? Like, yeah, so I, I that's agree. something that we do, too, you know? Like, that's attitude that we take into it. With the new record, I don't know if you're if you're comfortable talking about this or not, but uh, since you have now had a few years of uh, mixing experience, do you intend to do this one fully yourself or still work with uh, the Blasting Room guys on the post-production? Well, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm not sure. I, 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 think, I think some of that will, will be sort of dictated on how involved I am with the with the engineering of it. Yeah. If I'm wearing a lot of hats in here, I might need to step away at the end of it. But also keeping in mind that mixing is what I've spent the most time doing or the most time working on and studying and putting into practice for the last like four years. So my mind is usually there as well, but really it just kind of comes down to um, where I'm at at the end of the recording process. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because like, I might be ready to just be like, all right, that's all my energy. You know what I'm saying? Or, I might be just be riding a high at the end of it, you know? That's the plan, to be riding high, you know? Being like, fuck, that was fun. You know, that was great. Let's take a couple weeks off and then start mixing this thing. You know what I mean? But, it's probably a little too premature to kind of make any concrete plans, but, I've definitely got all the, every, every possibility I've thought about thoroughly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like silently, quietly putting the team together. There's a lot of crazy shit going on in the Wilhelm camp these days. So like, nice. I think a lot of news is going to start coming out and like, you know, some of it will be very strange to people, I think. And <laughs> some things are going to be like, oh, cool. You know, like, we'll think you're cool, but. Can we get you out to Oregon sometime? I haven't seen you in 15 years. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I, oh, I can't wait to get back out there. What part of Oregon are you in again? Uh, I'm in Eugene. Um, so. Oh, yeah. My buddy Eric Rosino is in Eugene for years. You guys from uh, Capcom Suicide? What? Yeah, my bass player, Ben, who I talked about. He, I he, love those dudes. He's in Capcom Suicide. Oh, tight. They just remixed their whole, like, a final EP that they made before they broke up and, and, and like just kind of dumped it on the internet recently. I'll have to, I'll have to send it to you. Awesome. Is the drummer, is that Jesse? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I've been Great playing, guy. I've been Great playing with guy. those guys since he I was in high so school. Many toys. He's got a dope house out there in the middle of nowhere and just every toy. <laughs> we had a lot of great times staying with him. I should show you what's surrounding me in this uh, studio I'm in. is just full of my Batman toys. <laughs> uh, nice, nice. But, uh, yeah, man, I've yeah, known those yeah, guys forever. I, I love Eugene. It's cool. Cool place. Rad. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll be back there with the, with the... Once the new album is done, we'll be all over the place. 
Well, for sure. I would we'll be like, love to see it. Be careful what you wish for, man, because like, it's <laughs> going to be like a lot of us. You're going to be sick of us soon. <laughs> no, let me let me tell you. I just bought a new uh, st- uh, car stereo before DFS went on tour because it the deck froze, and so it was stuck on an iPod playlist that I couldn't change. And so for like a month, <laughs> for for a month, I listened to nothing but those four albums on loop over and over and over again. And the funny thing oh is, God. I never got tired of it. I just, <laughs> I just. Oh wow, let, you picked the right records, I guess. Well, well, I mean, it's just your four albums in in order, but I, I just um, it oh, was my four. Oh, our four. Oh, no, that's shit. what I'm saying. Yeah, for, <laughs> it was it was stuck on the Wilhelm playlist, oh, and there were times I couldn't even change the volume. It was just on for like a month, <laughs> and I, I had to get rid of the stereo because I I couldn't do that to yeah. my to my bandmates when we're on the road. We got to change it up. Oh, on those I, I don't blame you, man. I don't blame you. Long drives, but <laughs> but no, I listened to your shit a month straight, nonstop, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, I'm going to let you go. I, I really appreciate you taking the time, and, and uh, especially with our, our time zone difference and, and you staying up late for me. Oh, absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. It's awesome, awesome chatting with you. Thanks for having me on the show. God damn, that was a good time. Uh, shout out to Trevor for sitting down with me and geeking out about songwriting and Star Wars and stuff. That was really fun. And, uh, you know, like I said, a band that I've loved for a really long time. So uh, thanks again to Trevor for doing that. And if you like the show, please subscribe to it. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Share it in your stories. Put it on your socials. Help me spread the word. Uh, if you are a first-time visitor here you can check out some of my recent episodes the similar guests bill stevenson from the descendants we talked about the blasting room studios russ rankin from good riddance and only crime i uh, talked with ryan green a producer for a lot of fat records bands and uh, i've got all kinds of underground guests as well producers rappers bands you name it i'm gonna leave you with the track as we always do there's gonna be a little surprise at the end so there's gonna be a little something extra this time but We'll leave you with a track from the previous Wilhelm album, Party Crasher. We talked about how Ruiner had the best hooks and the catchy aspect for wide appeal. We talked about how career suicide had the technical prowess, taking everything to the next level in musicianship. But I feel like I didn't get to say this. Party Crasher is the marriage of those two things. It's a fully realized band and sound. So we're going to take you out with Iceman left a trail, and then I'll have a little surprise for you at the end. This is a Wilhelm scream.
Okay, I told you there was more. I wanted to shout out Emily from, excuse me, Mr. and Punk Detente. I think that's how you say it. Uh, she's got a French-Canadian punk rock radio show and uh, featured Dead Fucking Serious on there. And uh, we were chatting uh, one day about how much we loved the Party Crasher album and Wilhelm Scream being like the absolute best. So I shouted her out after I stopped recording, but I forgot to put it on the show. Now, since we talked about, I can't believe he knows my friends, Capgun Suicide, and they just released this music. And so they're never going to play another show. They're never going to put this out on CD or anything like that. Uh, but I went to the Capgun Suicide Bandcamp page, downloaded it, and I'm going to play it for you right now. Here's a track from their final three song demo EP, whatever you want to call it, from 2007 just mixed and mastered here in 2019 by Thaddeus Moore here in Eugene and I'm a big fan of it so here's Capgun Suicide
Cigarettes, another shot of cyanide.